You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato. And today we have a very special guest and a great show, Dupreet Hada. And uh, Dupreet is actually going to talk to us about um, financial education as uh, the standpoint from a physician, because financial education is not something physicians are taught in medical school. They sacrifice a lot of their adult lives to help patients to help save their lives. Um, but, you know, that comes with a little bit of ignoring the financial future. So Capri's mission is to empower uh, physician investors uh, by providing a clear and concise map to navigate real investments, um, you know, including real estate. Um, but Capri's been involved with many different asset classes that help reduce taxes, that keep pace with inflation. And, you know, most importantly, so Capri can focus on what he's good at as a physician, that are passive, so he can focus on their, their true passion to help his patients. Um, so Capri, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you, I appreciate it. Sure, so Capri, could you kind of talk about your um, trajectory to becoming a physician? I, I, I believe you have an MBA in finance too. Could you kind of talk about how that transition happened? Yeah, so, you know, unfortunately I have a horrible ADD. Um, I went into uh, construction when I was 14, and then I went to medical school um, in a six-year program when I was 17, um, finished that, and all the while, I was still trying to do construction and do, do projects. Um, and so what I learned in the process of doing all that is how to make a lot of mistakes and how to salvage my mistakes and how to make money at it. And, and I always tried to figure out, you know, what is it that I need to do to, to do things the right way? What is it that I need to do to make good money at projects? So eventually I, I finished medical school. I went into general surgery. I ended up going into anesthesiology. Uh, then I ended up going into pediatric anesthesia. Um, and and I, I've, I'm continuously still practicing medicine. I, I, I practice medicine uh, as an interventional pain physician, um, and also have a huge uh, outreach program for reversing diabetes. And I, I probably practice medicine 40, 50 hours a week. But at the same time, as I was progressing, I was looking around at my physician colleagues and wondering, why is it that so many of them go broke? Why is it at the end of the day, they're no wealthier than anybody else, even though they make a ton of money? Why is it that they're under the same stress and under the same fear um, as everybody else when they make so much money? I mean, how is it that that can happen? And that's what made me examine some of these ideas. And it didn't, you know, I, I didn't come out and go, oh, this is what it is. It was an iterative process. And I examined what I had done, what I'd done wrong, what I'd done right, and what I had to modify to end up at a decent location. So the biggest thing that, the biggest things that I found is I started to look at, you know, money is one thing and money is a goal, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to have happiness. It's to have 
a, a sense of well-being. Um, but money is just a tool to get there. And the real crux of it turned out to be time. Time is the most valuable thing we have. We can make money again and again and again. But time is the thing that we don't have. And what I ended up concluding is that I could use money to buy other people's time because they have expertise. And that would help me generate more money, which then helped me generate more time by buying more expertise. And that was, that was the pathway that I ended up doing. Now, that's not to say that I didn't do a ton of active projects myself. Um, it's just that at the end of the day, you can't leverage your time. You can leverage your money to buy time, but you can't make more time. Um, and, and so that's, the, that's kind of the, the crux of what I ended up coming up with is like, hold on, I, I, I've made money, but I'm not going to do well unless I learn how to utilize that money to buy other people's expertise. So that's kind of where I ended up at. Got it. It makes a lot of sense. So as a, as a physician, um, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started the show, how do you identify what projects are viable or what sponsors are, you know, reputable to invest your money with? Is there a roadmap that you would recommend or that you, you know, kind of have in your mind to help others out? Because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bad deals out there and a lot of unfortunately bad operators that um, can take advantage of someone in a high income position uh, such as yourself. And I, I've seen it firsthand. Um, how do, what do you look for when evaluating opportunities? So most people think what you should look for is you should look for your cash on cash return. They, say, they think you should look at your internal rate of return. They think that you should look at your PREF. They think that you should look at these numbers. That's the last thing that I look at because I don't care how good it looks on paper. If the person I'm dealing with is shady, I'm not going to deal with them. Um, it, what I do is I do a deep background check on the person. The operator is the most important element of that. You can take the best deal on earth, throw in a terrible operator, and it's worthless in six months. And I can take a worthless piece of property, throw in a great operator, and it's worth a fortune. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's all operator dependent. Yeah, it is deal dependent because you can't, you, 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 there's certain things you're just not going to be able to fix. Um, but even more importantly than that, a good operator is not going to take on a terrible project that they can't fix. Um, so for me, it's always been who is the person that's interacting with the tenant? Who's the person that's interacting with me? Who's the person that's interacting with the bank? It's the who. It's more than just the project. I've seen some horrendous failures in projects that had amazing rates of return um, because the operator was terrible and they ran off with the money or they didn't know what they were doing or they overstretched themselves. Um, I would way rather have a lower rate of return knowing that my operator is better than a higher rate of promised return and get nothing or actually lose everything. Uh, and so I think that that's, people, people get enamored by these pref rates. They get enamored by, by the visual of, of a great presentation. But what they should get enamored with is the person they're dealing with. If you can't deal with that person, 
if you don't want to sit down with that person and you don't want to have a conversation and they're not meaningful for you, run away because that's not somebody you should be hanging out with. Um, and, and that's, that's the one you have to have integrity in that person. You're risking a lot of money and you're risking a lot of opportunity and you don't want to risk it to the, with the wrong person. I have a whole host of tools that I use to vet operators and I, we do everything from background checks to um, criminal background checks. To, we look at their UCCs. We're, we're going in, in, in depth. I don't, even invest with an operator that hasn't had some failure in the past. If they've had zero failure, then that means they might be full of themselves. Because if you're in this business, I've been in this business for 35 plus years, you're gonna have failures, you're gonna have economic cycles. It's how you react to your failure. It's how you react to the economic cycle. And what you do to do, you know, to, to take shit and turn it into something good to take it in shit and turn it into fertilizer that grows something for you. Um, and so that's, th that's what I want to see. I want to see how they reacted to their previous failure. If they've had zero failures, I don't know if I trust them. Um, if they're able to accept their failure and grow with it and make something of it and make themselves whole and better, then that's the person I want to be with. I want to see that they've had scars and that they've grown from that. Um, I certainly don't want to deal with somebody that has had issues with fraud. You know, I, I don't want to be dealing with people that have ripped people off and not helped them. Um, but I expect that every project will have ups and downs and it's how they react to those ups and downs. That's awesome. And that is kind of true to where we are in the cycle right now, given the COVID crisis. If I get opportunities thrown at me too, because I passively invest in other uh, operators, real estate deals, you know, outside of myself so I can leverage their time, right. Or leverage my money and leverage their time. So, um, one of the things I look at is how are you responding to the COVID crisis and how has that been impacting, you know, you know, the real estate, um, as how has it been impacting collections? Um, has it been, you know, severely impacting the property value? Um, so, and then how do they, how do they respond to that? Is, is a key indicator for me, at least in this present moment. But everything you just said is, you know, background checks, uh, fraud is, is, is also key as well. That's, that's almost a given. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. So could you, could you kind of dial it back a little bit, Capriz? So you mentioned you, you got your MBA at a very, very young age. What made you decide to go into medicine in the first place? Just out of my curiosity. Yeah. So I've, I've, been super interested in medicine and science since I was real young. Like I was, I was the kid that tried to do transfusions on cockroaches, trying to figure out how to get, you know, figure out what their bloodstream looked like. So I've always been interested in, um, in the medical field. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm enamored. I, I, I do about a million and a half dollars of free care a year. I want to take care of people. Mm -hmm. And what, my real estate allows me to do and my other passive ventures is it allows me to take care of the patients that I want to take care of that can't pay me. Um, but it lets me do what I have to do. And it lets me not worry about, you know, where am I going to get tuition for the kids? How are we going to do X, Y, Z? Um, it takes that 
concept and worry and the retirement theories and all those other things and puts it out of my head and allows me to focus in on what I really, really love. I love taking care of patients. Um, I also like business, but it allows me to separate and it, it, it takes a lot of that worry away. I find that physicians have the same rate of bankruptcy, maybe even a little bit higher. They have the same rate of dying penniless as does everybody else. And the reason why is that we're all humans. And physicians though, are a little worse off because we're taught that money is a bad thing. We're taught that money is just a terrible, evil thing. Um, and money isn't any of that. Um, I, a lot of times when I work with people and I, I have them do a little self-analysis and I give them a checklist of things, you know, I ask them to, to write down 10 things in their head when they think of money, money is. And almost always, you know, they'll come up with money is the root of all evil. Money is this, money is that. And these are all negative things. Very few people come up with money is a tool to help me expand. Um, and that's where I want to get them to. I want them to understand that money is just a tool that allows you to leverage. And leverage is a good thing because then you can do the other things that you want to do. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I, what I try to push people towards is, figure out what you really want to do and then use this tool. We've, as physicians, we make a lot of money. We also waste a lot of money. Most physicians have never learned how to balance their checkbook. And they're so afraid all the time and they don't have access to true investment because most of them end up investing in the stock market because that's what they know. Um, and the vast majority of the stock market, but for 10 or 12 stocks is actually going down. Um, and there's no real tax advantage for them. And our biggest single expense as, as, as human beings is taxes. And if you don't have a tax advantage system, you're in trouble. Um, and, and so those are the kind of things that I educate people about just so that they understand where they need to head. Um, physicians are in a unique position. We do make a lot of money, but our fear keeps us from allowing us to, to do something with it that allows us to leverage it and make a good rate of return. Um, you know, you would have to say, you, you can only use about 4% of your money uh, once you retire per year. And so you have to save a ridiculous amount of money to live on your, on your, on your pre-tax earnings. 4% of $2 million gets you what, like $80,000 a year. Um, that's not much money to live on for the rest of your life. I know it seems like a lot, but when you start extrapolating out what the cost of nursing home care is, what the cost of medications is, what the cost that you're gonna end up spending to take care of things, you have to save $2 million to take out 80,000. But if you owned a couple of apartment buildings, you don't have to do that anymore. And you know, the, the, there's a concept of leverage. When, when, when you own real estate, you're leveraging the bank's money. Uh, when you're buying stocks, you're not leveraging anybody's money. They're leveraging yours. Um, and so you, you're in a disadvantaged situation. So those, those are the kind of things that, that I think are relevant. It's the tax implications. It's the leverage. It's the asymmetrical return. Uh, those are the things that I want people to understand. Makes a lot of sense, Capri. 
Could you kind of talk about your platform a little bit more? Uh, your platform for those of you who are listening and aren't familiar with Capri is called Red Pill Capital and what um, your group is, is focused on, um, you know, in, in light of the, the COVID-19 crisis, what are you kind of seeing as opportunities uh, come about, whether it's within the real estate industry, which I'm sure a lot of it still is, or, or outside of it? So yeah, there's a couple things that, that I'll mention uh, that we're looking at closely. Um, the COVID crisis has revealed some issues in our economy and issues in our healthcare. And I'll just give you broad overview. Um, the virus itself is of some significance, but it's not the worst virus we've ever seen. Um, it is of significance. It is a probably higher mortality and morbidity risk than the influenza virus, probably by triple. So instead of 0.1% morbidity mortality, it's probably 0.3. Um, that in itself is, you know, th there are much worse viruses out there. So what differentiates this? What differentiates this is the rapidity of spread, how quickly it spreads, and the host, the person it spreads to and injures. So, and, and this, this comes back to why I'm in the re reversing diabetes world. It turns out that only 12.2% of the US population is metabolically healthy. That means like 87.8% of the US population is metabolically ill. That means that they're either pre-diabetic or they're diabetic or they're hyper-inflamed. Those are the exact people that once they get infected with this virus have a rate of morbidity mortality of 15%, not 0.3%, but 15%. That's why you see this thing running rampant in nursing homes. That's why you see this thing running rampant in restaurants. Um, I used to own restaurants and I sold them all a couple of years, a year ago, last October, right before this COVID crisis. Um, it's real interesting. I had a problem with my restaurants because I couldn't serve vegetable oil in my restaurants because I didn't want people to have vegetable oil. And using regular healthy fat that's not vegetable oil is more expensive. And so that made my, made my economics not work. And so I ended up selling them. Um, but that's why you're seeing a lot of transmission and that's why we're worried about it. So what does this mean uh, from a real estate standpoint? So where this virus hits, it spreads rapidly. If it hits in a situation where people are already predisposed to illness, it kills them. That's why we're seeing this spread like crazy in nursing homes. So applying the real estate model to this and looking at it from a medical standpoint, what this means is large big box nursing home facilities with 200 people in them in a common area is dangerous. Um, I was reading a report about a nunnery that lost a third of the people that were living in this nunnery because it was a retirement home. They lost a third of them um, because you know they, they were a little bit older and they were pre-diabetic and they were overweight and a third of them got, got out. So what is, how does this mean to real estate though? Well, what it means is if you're looking at retirement facilities, you're not gonna be investing in big boxes. You're going to be using a model that's more of a home model where you have between eight to 15 people in a single home and you have one-on-one -on -one caregivers or one on, you know, not one-on-one, -on -one, it's probably one on eight caregivers and you don't rotate the caregivers so the caregiver is not exposed to 200 people in a given day and you can isolate each nursing home facility in pods of 8 to 12. Uh, Gene Garino 
has a a great model on this and he, he's an amazing teacher on this um that's one of the areas that i'm investing i'm we're building memory care units with eight to 12 people in them in adjacent homes and the staff don't cross over yeah. and so what this allows us to do is get leverage and scale but we don't have the risk of cross-contamination so that's one one area so the other area is that you're going to notice a lot of change in retail settings and everybody's talked about this what they don't talk about is certain retail settings are actually going to get better and what that is is delivery service stuff and it's going to be stuff like takeaway food it's going to be stuff like um, grocery stores they're going to get even more densely packed and you're going to find out that local retailers will develop off-site locations to deliver to that people will pick up quickly um, so you're, you're going to see some changes there um, you're going to see some changes in office space you may actually see office space more utilized rather than less but people having more space so instead of having a bunch of cubicles next to each other you might find that offices now have closed doors and with glass walls and people separated by greater distance you're also going to find a lot of home use though um, you're going to find a lot of people staying at home but in that home residential stuff you're going to find that people want bigger space they're going to want more outdoor space you're going to find that they want patios you're going to find that they're luxuriating at home you're going to find that they want home gyms and corporate large big box gyms are going to start to disappear. Um, and so those, those are the kind of things that, that, that are predictive based upon this, this, this COVID we've got a bunch of stuff that we've looked at. Um, but that's kind of where, where my thoughts are. I do believe that class C um, multifamily is going to do very well. Uh, class A will probably do okay because a lot of those people work at home and they maintain salary. Class C, a lot of those people are in the service industry um, and they're still getting their supplemental income from the federal government, but there's still gonna be demand and people will still want to move out of home. There's still be a lot of new household formation and they're gonna come in at that class C level or they're gonna come in at the mobile home park level. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of demand at the mobile home park, which we've always seen, but we're seeing even more. You're gonna see retail centers convert themselves to more uh, storage facilities. A lot of these big box empty retail centers will become large scale temperature controlled storage facilities. As people uh, divest themselves of stuff that they don't need and they don't have a place to store it, they're gonna put it into a big box storage center and they want it temperature controlled. So th those are just some of the things that I'm looking at. Right. And are they geographically targeted investments or yeah. all over? No, that I, so here's the thing. You live where you want to live because it's a lifestyle issue. You invest where it makes money. Um, and there's always make ways to make money in expensive places, but I'm a cash flow investor and I, I look for opportunity. So I typically look for things that, are value add and significantly value add. Um, and I also try to leverage everything I can so that I can um, minimize cash input. Um, and so I'm always looking for that bizarre thing that hasn't sold and somebody hasn't figured out what to do with it. 
Um, and so th those are the kind of things th that I'm looking at. Um, so I typically invest in cash flow areas. Cash flow areas for me are um, like St. Louis. I mean, I fortuitously, I live here and it's a cash flow area. Inside St. Louis, what I'm looking at is areas around universities. I'm looking at areas around universities that have medical schools because my suspicion is that research development will go up. There'll be a lot of money pouring in and we're going to recapitalize a lot of our R&D for medical. So those areas are gonna do really well. Um, areas that are gonna do poorly are gonna be urban core where you have to go into an elevator to get into a high rise and you don't have a patio. I think those are gonna do poorly. Um, so I'm not looking at those. Um, so, you know, we're closing on a 24 unit, I think in a week and a half. Um, and we're going to gut rehab it. It'll be an amazing space. Um, and, you know, and I tell you, don't look at cash on cash returns and don't look at IRRs and don't look at the cap rates, but it's my own deal and we're not selling it to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our after, our after cap rate will be over 20%. Um, because it's we're getting, yeah, it's, it's such a cheap deal. Um, we're not even raising capital for it. You know, we're just doing it literally for, for a bar tab. Um, you know, it, it, it's just interesting because we were able to, to, to do a leverage on it. That was pretty significant. Um, wow. the, the previous owner, um, was ill-equipped to manage it. Their purchase price was over 2.4 million. We're taking it from them for about 600,000. Wow. Um, and they're taking a bath. The previous investor was, you know, they, they, they trusted the wrong management team. And, you know, they, th those are the kind of the asymmetrical returns that we look for. You know, what can we do different? It's actually in a decent location. Um, and so those are the kind of deals that we're looking at right now. We think that there's tons of deals like that. We think that this shakeout is going to demonstrate good operators from bad operators. Sure. And how are you sourcing your deals, Capri? Is it, is it generally, I mean, there's an active and a passive side. So uh, how, how do you find them? Okay, so on my passive side, because I think that, you know, I, I'm active and passive, but there's a, there's a differentiation. On my active deals, um, you know, I have good relationships with brokers. We directly source sometimes because we've been in the field for a while. P sellers will directly call us. Um, we also do marketing campaigns. I have a whole host of different marketing campaigns and methods, which include direct mailers, email. Uh, we use print genie. Um, we do text messaging. You know, we, we do that. We do everything with respect to that. I have a small team of people that part of it's in the U S and part of it's virtual. And that's what they do. Um, as in terms of the pure passive side, I pick about four to six really good operators. I'm planning on getting to about eight to 10 total uh, really good operators and then giving each of them about 10% of a passive portfolio and letting them run with it. Um, you know, th there's just a whole host of people that have amazing deals and I trust them because I've met them and I've interacted with them. And it, it's not a single interaction that made a difference for me. It's seeing their reliability over time their credibility over time. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. And so those are the people that, that I passively invest in. They call me and I don't even have, to, I don't even care what the numbers are. If they call me and they said, you know, we're $100,000 we, we need from you. 
and we need it in five days. You know, yeah, yeah send me the PPM. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to understand it, but I agree to send you a hundred thousand dollars or I'll send you 200,000 or I'll send you 300,000 or I'll send you right. 50, you know, whatever it is that they're looking for because they have credibility. Sure. It's different than somebody that is looking at me as a new person, you know, that, that I've never met. Then I actually have to vet them. And then it, it takes me a little bit of time and I want to understand the deal. I might even go out to look at the property to see what they're seeing. Um, and especially with people that are new operators, I don't know, you know, you, you have to have some war wounds and, and that's always my concern. Uh, and so it, the deal may be ravingly good, but the operator may be mediocre and my result will be mediocre. And I don't want that. Right. And that's super important as we discuss. Uh, so we're going to wind this down a little bit now. We're coming out of time. Uh, how can people find you? How can people reach out? And I know you have a, a large educational platform. Um, what can they expect to see from you? And how do they get involved with, in some capacity um, with what you're doing? So, yeah, if they're interested, we, we have a, a pretty significant educational platform. Um, and anybody that truly wants to be educated, um, you know, for your listeners, all they have to do is email me. If they email me, we'll give them free access. Um, we'll give it to the first hundred people. And it's info at redpillcapital with a K.com. Um, and just, you know, tell, tell us that you, you listen to it on this show. And what I'll do is we'll send them a link um, to our course with, with a coupon code. That it's normally 975 bucks. They'll get it for free. Um, it's about 20 modules. It's about 16 hours of education. And it's very specific to multifamily. And it's specific to how to vet people as a, as a active, as a passive investor and how to vet the actives. So it's, it's a pretty densely filled piece of information. Otherwise we've got tons of educational material just on our site, redpillcapital.com uh, in our blogs. And we've got a lot of videos and, and things like that. Um, but I think that that's probably the easiest way info at redpillcapital.com with a K um, and just send me an email and, and we'll shoot them back a link so that they can sign on and give them a, a coupon code. Great. Info at redpillcapital.com with a K. And we'll have that in the comment section and in the description on iTunes. So you can feel free to reach out to Capreed and tell uh, him that you've listened or watched our show and he'll um, give you the hookup to his educational platform. Um, so Capreed, thank you so much for coming on our show. I really learned a lot and appreciate it. And again, I encourage my listeners to reach out to Capreed and um, learn more about his platform as well. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again um, in, in the next six months to a year or so, Capri. I'd love to catch up and, and see what you were working on. I'd love to hear about that discounted um, investment you just talked about, how that went. Um, maybe we can do a case study on that. Uh, but really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.